0: I think it's safe to say that most of us are not big fans of drama. I mean, I guess unless it's in a movie. But we will do almost anything to avoid drama, even to the detriment of our personal and professional relationships. But at times, even the most mindful Zen person might find themselves feeling like a victim who has no voice. And on other occasions, if you're seeing somebody who is being picked on we might even attempt to go rescue that person in that same victim role that we might have found ourselves in. And even crazier still, at times we might occasionally find ourselves trying to teach or lecture or, or even punish those who we feel are playing the role of martyr or victim. Well, Dr. Stephen Cartman identified these three roles, the victim, the persecutor, and the rescuer, as part of what has become known as the Cartman Drama Triangle. Understanding the drama triangle can not only help you recognize the negative roles that we kind of tend to gravitate to in strong, emotion-filled interactions, a.k.a. drama, but also how to get out of these unhealthy situations. So we're going to talk about that and plenty more coming up on today's episode of The Virtual Couch. Hey, I promise I'm going to try to do this in less than a minute. As a therapist myself, I recommend that everybody give therapy a try. I believe we're all kind of hanging on to things that would, uh, would be helpful to process or things we might have thought we would achieve by now. Or maybe our anxiety or depression is up based on all the events of the world. Um, and if that is the case, you owe it to yourself to give therapy a try. Uh, if you need to, go find someone in your local area. But if not... Look at betterhelp.com, betterhelp.com slash virtualcouch. You'll get 10% off your first month services, but betterhelp.com slash virtualcouch, and you'll have access to what 750, 800,000 people now have done before you of getting help that they need. There's a broad range of expertise in betterhelp.com slash virtual couches counselor network. It's available for clients worldwide. You can be up and going in twenty-four to forty-eight hours. The assessment tool is incredible. You can look at all kinds of different types of therapy, um acceptance and commitment therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh There's a vast array of things with real professional licensed counselors in your area. I'm at a minute and three seconds, so I will wrap it up, but go to betterhelp.com slash virtual couch, receive 10% off of your first month services. What are you waiting for? You owe it to yourself at the very least to just go check it out. You can go fill out some paperwork. You can take the assessment. That doesn't mean you necessarily even have to, to select a counselor yet, but just take that step and have that at your fingertips because everybody deserves to do a little something for themselves and to have some extra tools to work with betterhelp.com slash virtual couch go try it today I am your host, Tony Overbay. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified Mindful Habit Coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, for ultra-marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography recovery program that is helping people on a daily basis reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography. If you or anybody that you know is trying to put it behind them once and for all, and trust me, it can be done in a strength-based hold the shame, become the person you always wanted to be way, then head over to pathbackrecovery.com, and there you'll find a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to put pornography behind them once and for all. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. And I, I just want to continue to thank you for your support of the podcast. The the downloads continue to just grow. And I know that means that people are sharing episodes, and that is just uh It is. um, I'm just so I'm I'm flabbergasted. I'm I'm without words. So I really appreciate that support. And on that note, if you do like the podcast, feel free to share it with others. But if you have a second to go write a review wherever you listen to your podcast on the Apple podcast app or uh, Spotify or any of those places, that would be wonderful. That still is the way there's there's uh, algorithms. There's ways that people get the podcast in front of them. And a lot of that comes from reviews and ratings and that sort of thing. So I always appreciate anybody that it's willing to take a couple of seconds and um, click a, a, a whatever whatever star review that you think and then throw some comments or what you think about the podcast there as well. So thank you for that. And you can always find me on Instagram at Virtual Couch or Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist on Facebook. Um, even there's a, there's a little TikTok action going on at Virtual Couch as well where there is the humorous, I hope series of the bad therapist at some point we want to get the good therapist on there as well so today i'm gonna i'm gonna try to hit a topic that i i wanted to cover for a while i think i say that often with the topics that i do Um, talk about but this is one that I learned about a few years ago doing some training and the reason I know it so well now is because I wasn't completely paying attention when this concept was first brought out and then it was something where when it would get brought up again in trainings I would think I really don't 100% know what we're talking about right now and I really need to go look this up and what it is is it's uh, it's called the Karpman Triangle K-A-R-P-M-A-N Triangle and I, I, I can't make an excuse that I wasn't there the day that they first talked about the Cartman Triangle, but, uh, I think maybe I was having a bit of an ADD moment and, and missed something there at the beginning. And then I think that my own vulnerabilities and insecurities were of such that I, I struggled for a little while of saying, Hey, can we, uh, can we go back and talk about the Cartman triangle? But, you know, thanks to the internet and Google and Wikipedia and, and tons of psychology articles, I was able to find out that information. And then once I did know, I did present to this training group that I went for a while without really understanding what the Cartman triangle was. And I should have just expressed myself anyway. So there's a lesson in life that even a vulnerable, raw, authentic therapist can have a moment where he and or she thinks, Man, I uh, I should speak up right now. No, I'll just figure it out myself. And I should have spoken up. But let me talk about the Cartman Triangle and all... All praise and uh, references and this sort of thing today um, go to a a fellow MFT, marriage and family therapist named Linda Graham. And this is at the the article that I found that I really think does the best job of describing the Cartman Triangle is at uh, lindagraham-mft.net. And I've got a link to that in the show notes. I don't know Linda, but uh, I just thought that she did a great job of summarizing everything. So she gives a little bit of a history first behind what the Cartman Triangle is. And Stephen Cartman, MD, developed his what's called Called the drama triangle. And in the points of the triangle, you've got a victim, and you've got a rescuer, and you've got a persecutor. And he developed this almost 40 years ago. And uh, as Linda Graham said, she fang- finds it just as relevant and just as new to many people as it was 40 years ago. And I agree. And this is something that I don't use on a daily basis in my practice. But whenever I do think about this or when it becomes evident in a session that someone is playing one of these roles, victim, rescuer, persecutor, and as we'll see, we can even shift these roles depending on our relationship or depending on the situation, um, I find myself going back to this Cartman Triangle uh, over and over again. So she says, even if you don't spend much time yourself playing any of these th- three roles, um, you're probably dealing with them on a daily basis with people who do. So this might be something that will hit home as, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm playing one of these roles, victim, persecutor, or rescuer, or I recognize that I am in a relationship with someone who is is dramatically or drastically clinging to one of these roles. And uh, I love how she says, knowing how to put on our big girl or big boy pants and just get out of the triangle is essential when dealing with people who want to pull us into this triangle. And using our own wise mind, she says, to recognize when we've regressed into one of these roles ourselves, and it's usually because of... Um, you know the The usual culprit she says, needing to play those roles early in our family of origin uh, it 's a form of our conditioning, so a lot of times if we 've played one of these roles as as a as a kid, if we 've been the victim or if we 've been the rescuer or if we 've been the persecutor. Then we will find ourselves slipping into those old familiar roles at times, even in our own relationships, when we know that it's not the best thing for us either. So she says that knowing this, um, knowing a lot about how we maybe fall into these roles or knowing about these roles from our family of origin or kind of our conditioning that we've we've brought to the table, uh, it's essential to help us make wise, conscious choices in our intimate and social interactions with others now, you know, in, in the here and now. So um, she, she, uh, she, I love that before we get into this, she says, may the reflections and exercises offered below save you much grief and help you enjoy healthy, game-free relationships. Why I chuckle is because that concept of game-free relationships. I, I can't tell you how many times I feel like what comes up in a session is that someone finds out that they not only have been um, failing a test or, or taking a test that their partner has been giving them but they don't even find out about it until they've received their failing grade till they've received their report card and it says you've got a big old f and so that that can feel a bit like gamesmanship and I love when someone in my office will say i mean I know that I probably shouldn't be doing this but you know I've decided that I was going to I was not going to hold my husband's hand until he held my hand and i'll and I'll see what what how how he likes that and so here's a, a husband that is um You know, because of his own circumstances growing up, or his own insecurities, or who knows what the reasons are, maybe isn't much of a handholder, and so now he's failing this test that his wife has given him. And it can be vice versa as well. Guys do that a lot with intimacy. I'm afraid where you know they're saying, okay, I'm I'm not even gonna I'm not even gonna ask for it. I'm not even gonna try until she does. We'll see how we'll see what that's like. You know, and then I'll have this data and I'll, I'll present it to her at the end of the month and go, aha, you know, you never you never initiated intimacy, and therefore. Um, I have this data to show to you and I win or, you know, I, I don't know what the, the result of that game is, but I think maybe we've known of people or maybe we've even been a part of some of this gamesmanship. So Linda Graham's saying that uh, learning a little bit about the Cartman triangle, may help you enjoy healthy, game-free relationships. And and I think that's one of the goals that we we have here. So she said, let's start with reflections. The drama triangle is a dynamic model of social interaction and conflict developed by Dr. Cartman when he was a student of Eric Byrne, um, who is, that's a big name in in psychology, because Eric Byrne is the father of transactional analysis. And what is transactional analysis, you may be asking yourself? I think that would be a new podcast. That would actually be one that I should cover at some point. Um, It was founded by Eric Byrne. It was uh, back from the late 50s. I want to say early 60s, but uh, let's look, late 50s. And it is based on the theory that each person has three ego states. And remember my uh, podcast last week talked about the ego, which is the I, me, myself. You know, our ego is uh, it's kind of that um, where we're coming from, who we think we are, all of those wonderful things. But uh, transactional analysis says that we each have these three ego states, parent, adult, and child. And so that those are used along with these other key transactional concepts or analysis concepts um, to analyze how individuals communicate. And what type of interactions needed for better outcomes? So you can see, and, and I'll cover that in a, maybe a future episode because you can tell at times when you are taking on the role of a parent, or taking on the role of adult, you know, or taking on the role of child, and so those become important in the uh, when you are communicating with others. So transactional analysis. So Dr. Cartman was a stud, a student of Eric Byrne, father of transactional analysis, and Cartman and uh, and a lot of other clinicians do point out that um, victim and rescuer and persecutor, that they refer to roles that people unconsciously play or people that, you know, they try to manipulate other people to play and that it's not the actual circumstances in, in someone's life. So, there can be real victims, obviously, of crime and racism and abuse and all of those things. And so, what we're talking about with the Cartman Triangle is the roles that people unconsciously play that kind of put them in a position of interacting with others. So I think that's really important, especially based on a lot of the things that we have going on in the world today. So the three roles of the drama triangle of Cartman's drama triangle, um, she says they're they're uh, archetypal and easily recognized by their extreme versions. So let's go through those. The first one is victim. So first uh, of the Cartman drama triangle is victim, and the stance of the victim is is poor me. I mean that's the victim mentality, right? And victims see themselves as um, victimized or oppressed, powerless. Uh, she goes on to say, helpless, hopeless, dejected, and ashamed, and they come across as super sensitive. Uh, they want kid glove treatments from others. They can deny any responsibility for their negative circumstances and deny possession of the power to change those circumstances. And so what's pretty fascinating, and, and I've, you know, a lot of us have played all of these various roles. A lot of times when someone is playing the victim role, anything that anyone says, well, why don't you do this? Or you should do this? Or have you thought about this? None of that's going to work for the victim. So, have you ever felt that way? And this is uh, and this is where I start just getting kind of deep on all of these things. We've got that psychological reactance built in. That's that instant negative reaction of being told what to do. And so, when someone is feeling this victim state, it's hard for them to own their own behaviors. Um, number one, because this is a way that, the, that when someone's in victim mode, they truly do just want to be heard. They want to know that their opinion matters. But oftentimes. They also don't know how to get out of this victim mentality. And so by pushing back, by saying, you don't understand, you don't get me, that's not going to work, then there's a really deep concept here that's not necessarily something that's part of the Cartman Triangle. But if we look at deep attachment theory, when someone is stuck in this, you don't understand, I can't do it, I've tried, you know, nobody understands me, if they can stay in this victim mentality – then they they don't necessarily – and this is going to sound dramatic of me – but then they don't necessarily have to move toward change. So a lot of times when we see somebody that's stuck in this victim mentality – the, the thing that we don't want to do, I was going to say the worst thing you can do, but I'm not trying to be dramatic, is to continue to tell them what to do because then we're just handing them, um, you know, this psychological reactance. We're handing them the ability to say, you don't get it. You don't understand me. You know, when somebody's like, you just need to understand. You just need to get out of this. You just need to go outside and you just need to exercise and you need to get off your phone and all those things. That is not someone in victim mentality's brain is going to say, huh, I hadn't thought about that. So, one of the things that we can do is truly just be there for them, hear them, listen to them. But that's not the Cartman Triangle. It's hard to not go into EFT and attachment theory and those sort of things. So, let's get back to the Cartman Triangle. So, the victim. A person in the victim role uh, will also look for a rescuer or a savior to save them. And and that's that's a key part of this uh, this drama triangle. So, and if somebody refuses or fails to do that... Um, they can quickly perceive them now as a persecutor. So when somebody's in a victim role and they do reach out for help from someone, and that person doesn't rescue them, then then the victim can quickly turn that rescuer into a persecutor. And I've watched this in therapy a lot. When you listen to people, when you give them empathy, when you give them validation, which is is so needed, but then you don't just fix it for them, then oftentimes then now you've become another person that just let them down. And, and it's hard. It breaks my heart as a therapist to see that at times as well. So in terms of derailing resilience, um, victims have real difficulties. Again, this is Linda Graham talking now this, this quote. Victims have real difficulties making decisions or solving problems or finding much pleasure in life or understanding their self-perpetuating behaviors. So that is that role of victim. So then she talks about the rescuer. So here's another part of the Cartman drama triangle, the rescuer. So the stance of the rescuer is, well, let me help you. Um, rescuers work hard to help and caretake other people and even need to help other people to feel good about themselves. That's pretty key while neglecting their own needs or not taking responsibility for meeting their own needs. You know, it's a lot of moms. I mean, man, a lot of moms, bless their hearts, are just trying so hard to take care of their kids and uh, and they just neglect their own needs. And this is where I talk often about um, what I call my emotional baseline theory, where oftentimes I feel like people neglect their self-care. Because they feel like they don't have time to do that that they have all of these other things to do for other people, but when they neglect their own self care um, they're really putting themselves in a in a pretty tough position to be all that they can be even for those people that they want to be there for so oftentimes a little bit of self-care goes a long way for helping that person feel better about themselves and putting them in a better position to be there to help others. Uh, But she says rescuers are classically codependent and enablers. They need victims to help and often can't allow the victim to succeed or get better. They can use guilt to keep their victims dependent and feel guilty themselves if they are not rescuing somebody. Oftentimes it's hard for a rescuer to even just sit still because they feel like, I I shouldn't have this downtime. I, I should be doing more. That if I'm not doing something, then I'm doing something wrong. And she says, in terms of derailing resilience, rescuers are frequently harried, overworked, tired, caught in a martyr style, while resentment festers underneath. Because a rescuer, and this is what's fascinating about this Cartman drama triangle. So you can see that then if a rescuer feels like they aren't Doing all that they can do, they can slowly start to fall into a victim mentality, which is another angle of this Cartman drama triangle. So, we've got the, we've got the victims, we've got the rescuers, and now we've got the persecutors. So, the stance of the persecutor is, it's all your fault. Persecutors criticize and blame their victims. Uh, They set strict limits. They can be controlling, rigid, authoritative, angry, and unpleasant. And uh, Linda Graham says they keep the victim feeling oppressed through threats and bullying. And in terms of resilience, persecutors can't bend. They can't be flexible. Uh, they can't be vulnerable. They, She says they can't be human. They fear the risk of being a victim themselves. So persecutors yell and criticize, but they don't actually solve any problems or help anyone else solve the problem. And so, uh, and and I will tell you, as somebody that does a lot of work with personality disorders, things like narcissism and borderline personality disorder, that a lot of times that persecutor, that someone is stuck in that persecutor mode, and, uh, and that Last paragraph can kind of really sum that up. Now, it doesn't mean that somebody that's in a relationship with someone with a personality disorder can do something with this information and all of a sudden magically change the person with the personality disorder. But if you go back and read this in terms of resilience, think about this with the persecutor. Persecutors can't bend. They can't be flexible. They can't be vulnerable. They can't be human. They fear the risk of being a victim themselves. That one's kind of deep because that means that they don't want to give up any control. And again, I'm talking about people with personality disorders. Persecutors yell and criticize, but they don't actually solve any problems or help anyone else solve a problem okay, but again, she says, these are the most extreme versions of these three roles, but we can encounter people playing milder versions of these roles on a pretty regular basis. And because Dr. Cartman was a student of transactional analysis at the time he identified these roles on the drama triangle, she goes on to say that there's a resemblance to the critical parent. So, a critical parent as the persecutor. Um, marshmallow parent, she says, as a rescuer, and the wounded inner child as the victim. And uh, and Eric Byrne described this in, in, a, in a book called Games People Play. So, what gives the drama triangle much of its power and significance is the recognition that people will switch roles and cycle through, at times, all three roles without ever getting out of the triangle. And so you can see this, and this is why this is a drama triangle. That this can be happening in an interaction with a couple, in an interaction with a family, in a family systems with a teenager. It can happen in a lot of different areas, and you slip into these various three roles. So, um, so let me let me kind of go over this. Uh, uh, Linda Graham says, "So, all right, so what gives the drama triangle much of its power and significance? Again, recognition that people will switch roles and cycle through all three without ever getting out of the triangle. Victims depend on a savior." rescuers yearn for a basket case, and persecutors need a scapegoat. Look at, Listen to that one again. Victims depend on a savior, rescuers yearn for a basket case, persecutors need a scapegoat. So, she says the trap is people are acting out these roles to meet personal, often unconscious needs, rather than being able to see the picture as a whole and taking responsibility for their part in keeping the triangle going. And and I feel like the, the real meat in that um, last paragraph is that that people, when they can't see the picture as a whole, it, they're often unable to take responsibility for their part in keeping the triangle going. And this is one of those things when I'm even doing couples therapy where I see both partners. they just hunkered down in their bunkers and they're hurling insults at each other. You know, they're, they're doing this tit for tat and neither one of them is recognizing their role and taking responsibility for their part and keeping that negative interaction going. You know, oftentimes I just say somebody needs to come out of the bunker first. Somebody needs to go say, hey, I can tell you're hurt. Let me hear you. Let me listen. And one of the hardest parts about that is that when you're listening to your partner, they're telling you about all of the horrible things that you've done. It's hard to not just want to go run back into your bunker and start throwing grenades as well. But oftentimes, that's what someone needs to recognize to be able to break up this, this pattern. Uh, so she's got, uh, she's got some great examples. That's why I love this article. So she has an example from, it's called The Three Faces of Victim, An Overview of the Drama Triangle, which is by Lynn Forrest. So it says... Dad comes home from work to find Mom and Junior engaged in a battle. Clean up your room or else. So there's the persecutor, Mom, threatening. Dad immediately comes to Junior's rescue. Mom, he might say, give the boy a break. He's been at school all day. And any one of several possibilities might follow. So perhaps the persecutor, who is Mom, is now feeling victimized by Dad, so she'll turn her wrath on him. In that case, she moves Dad from rescuer, right, he was Junior's rescuer, to now he's the victim. And then they might do a few quick, quick trips around the triangle with Junior on the sidelines. Or maybe Junior joins Dad in a persecutory, let's gang up on Mom approach. Or then again, maybe Junior will turn on Dad, rescuing Mom with a, mind your own business, Dad, I don't need your help. And so, it goes with endless variations, but nonetheless, pinging from corner to corner on the triangle. So, for many families, it becomes the only way that they know how to interact. So, and and she says, uh, what's needed is for anyone on the triangle to wake up to the roles that they are playing repeatedly. I love that. Wake up. Somebody has to just be aware and jump outside of this triangle and say, hang on a second. You know, look at this uh, pattern that we're doing. So, She says they need to wake up to the roles they're playing repeatedly. One person shifting out of a role can catalyze the others to shift out of roles and behaviors. So what's especially helpful is for the victim to begin to, quote, grow up and take responsibility for their own empowerment and resourcing themselves to meet their own needs. And so she says that each role on the drama triangle has its own payoffs. Victims get to be taken care of or victims get to be taken care of. Yeah. Rescuers get to feel good by caretaking and persecutors get to remain feeling superior to both the victim and the rescuer. That's deep, right? So that's that's what's happening in here. If you're if you're the victim, you get somebody is going to care about you. You are going to be rescued. If you're the rescuer, you get to rescue somebody. You get to save the victim. And if you're the persecutor, you get to remain feeling superior to both the victim and the rescuer with the you you guys don't get it. You know, and so isn't it crazy to see how that we can all fall into these roles and they can, in the in essence, um, meet these needs. Again, not the healthiest of needs, but meet these needs nonetheless. So she says, but the cost is to perpetuate a dysfunctional social dynamic and to miss out on the possibilities and responsibilities of healthy, resonant, resilient relationships. So um, she's got a section on, Linda Graham does on her website after this Cartman Triangle piece. That says, poetry and quotes to inspire. So, what, let me read a couple of these. They're, they're, they're very, I, I don't know, kind of puts a picture into words. Or words, uh, put a picture to words? It makes sense. That's what I was going to say. So, she says, it's only when we become convinced that we can't take care of ourselves that we move into victim mode. And believing we are frail, powerless, or defective keeps us needing rescue. She says, anxiety forces us to be always on the lookout for someone stronger or more capable to take care of us. And this relegates us to a lifetime of crippling dependency on our primary relationships. She says victims deny both their problem-solving abilities and their potential for self-generated power. This doesn't prevent them from feeling highly resentful toward those on whom they depend. As much as they insist on being taken care of by their primary rescuers, they nonetheless did not appreciate being reminded of their inadequacy that one's that again there's so much here there's so much you could dig into again so as much as they insist on being taken care of they don't appreciate being reminded of their inadequacy so you can see how people can just slip from victim to rescuer to persecutor and even even just within a conversation and being aware of that is what's going to help you get outside of that Uh, Another part um, on this article, she says, The rescuer is the classic codependent enabling overprotective, the one who wants to fix it. Taking care of others may be the rescuer's best game plan for being able to feel worthwhile. There's no better way to feel important than to be a savior. And I see that often where you'll say, you know, I'll I'll have people in relationships where you step back and they'll even say, you know, I'll say, hey, uh, do you ever feel... Almost like a, a in a savior complex and sound very dramatic, but do you feel like you can you can rescue this person? You can save them. You can fix them, and it's a pretty deep deep moment when somebody might say, "Man, yeah, that's what I that's what I really that's what I seek after." And I don't know if you've ever been this person or been in a relationship with the person that once they have fixed or rescued, then they kind of almost lose interest, and that that's a big uh, something to bring awareness. I would say red flag, but that sounds dramatic. But that is something that if that is happening. Um, If that's you, if you are this person that constantly needs to be the rescuer or the savior, uh, maybe it's time to look a little bit about what that's about for you, because that's going to be a um, never-ending quest, I guess, is a good way to put that. So, uh, she goes on to say, rescuers, um, this is Lynn Forrest now from uh, her book, rescuers often gain satisfaction by identifying with their caretaking role. They are generally proud of what helpers and fixers they are, and often they're socially acclaimed, even rewarded for what can be seen as selfless acts of caring. They believe in their goodness as chief caretakers and they see themselves as heroes. But I love how she puts it. She says, behind it all is a magical belief that if I take care of them long enough, then sooner or later, they will take care of me too. Um, Common phrases for the martyred rescuer are, after all I've done for you, this is the thanks I get. You ever heard that one? Have you ever felt that one? Or she says, or no matter how much I do, it's never enough. Or if you loved me, you wouldn't treat me like this. So that, that she calls, is a magical belief. If I take care of them long enough, then they will take care of me too. A rescuer's greatest fear is that they'll end up alone. They believe that their total value comes from how much they do for others. And she says it's difficult for them to see their worth beyond what they have to offer in the way of stuff or service. Uh, she says they believe if you need me, you won't leave me. And they scramble to make themselves indispensable in order to avoid abandonment. Again, that's from Lynn Forrest. Um, goes on to say that the persecutor is actually shame based. So this role is most often taken by someone who received overt mental and or physical abuse during their childhood. And this is where we get back into where now we're approaching the realm of some things like personality disorders. I always like to mention again when people ask me is something like narcissism is it is it born or bred? you know? And, and the truth is it can be both, but I remember the thing that made the most sense to me when I really started digging deep into personality disorders is that I always say that all people, all kids are, are self-centered. It's the way that kids work, but then with healthy relationships and healthy attachments growing up to parents and other people, then they, they can, they typically move from self-centered to some variation of self-confident. So if that person was never basically just look at it this way if they've never were told you can do this or I'm here for you or you are enough then they are going to have a hard time going from self-centered to self-confident. And so they typically stay in the self-centered mode. So they move forward into as an adult, basically acting at times like a, like a 10 to 12-year-old child, um, where that's why people can be, they can be so reactive. They can have a hard time getting outside of their own sense of self or ego. It can be very difficult to have empathy for others because they're still stuck in this self-centered mode. So, she says again the persecutor is is actually shame-based. This role is most often taken on by someone who received overt mental and or physical abuse during their childhood. As a result, they're often secretly seething inside from a shame-based wrath that ends up running their lives. She says they may choose to emulate their primary childhood abuser, preferring to identify with those they see as having power and strength rather than becoming the picked-on loser at the bottom of life's pile, she says. And that, again, that, that part there, they might choose to emulate their primary childhood abuser, preferring to identify with those they see as having power and strength. I think there's so much truth in that. And I also think there's, this is a cliche, but there's so much of the, the don't, they don't know what they don't know. I find often that people that tend to take on this persecutor mentality have no, they never had a, a relationship modeled when they were young of empathy, of support and then what can be difficult is we often think as the rescuer well I can show him if i if i continue to try to rescue well enough i can i can teach this persecutor to have empathy or to really care about me or to understand and it it breaks my heart at times to say this but one of the key components of helping someone deal with or or escape out of a relationship with an emotionally abusive partner is to recognize they, they almost have to have this acceptance that there isn't anything they're going to say or do that's going to cause this epiphany or aha moment for their partner to kind of all of a sudden reverse years or decades of of lack of empathy and all of a sudden go, oh, my gosh, you're right. You are right. I now get it. I'm I'm, I'm this horrible ogre and I've been treating you bad the entire time. and And that's what we often are still trying to find in relationships with people that are persecutors. So, um, all right. So we talked about picked up on bottom of lifestyle Persecutors tend to adopt an attitude that says the world is hard and mean. Only the ruthless survive, and I'll be one of those. The persecutor overcomes feelings of helplessness and shame by overpowering others. Domination becomes their most prevalent style of interaction. This means they must always be right. So their methods include bullying, preaching, threatening, blaming, lecturing, interrogating, and outright attack. This is gaslighting. There is so much of this in the persecutor realm that 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 is hand in hand with what people that struggle with personality disorders go through, and part of that is gaslighting or or making someone feel crazy for bringing up uh, something that is important to them. You know, I, when somebody says, uh, "Hey, you're you you know you kind of make me feel bad when you say these things." and then the persecutor can say really seriously like you're going to you you think that's the case you know you 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 make me feel bad we, i can't believe you're even saying this this doesn't it shows me you don't even know who i am and all of a sudden the person that was trying to come to the persecutor and be vulnerable it now has has it turned right back on him and this is maybe this is somewhere i can talk about something i've been thinking about a lot lately let me give a really easy example of this. I often have people that are in relationships with people like a narcissist or let's say the persecutor and they will be, they'll find themselves getting angry. They yell. And a lot of times, you know, I've got, let's just say it's the, the wife that's in my office and she's like, no, I, I really do. I lose my mind around my husband. It's true. I, I do yell at him because, you know, um, and I'll say, and I used to always just try to figure this out and say, yeah, but you're yelling because he's not hearing you or because you, he's gaslighting you or because he's not giving you empathy. He's not trying to understand you. And, you know, a, a very nice person would say, they would still say, yeah, but I shouldn't be yelling at him. And and I had this, uh, this kind of awakening one day where I thought, okay, if you take that person, the kind, nice person, the spouse, in this case, the wife, and you put her in a different relationship where she's heard, is she just going to start yelling all the time? No, absolutely not. But if you take that Persecutor, if you take that narcissist and you put them in a different relationship, are they all of a sudden going to have empathy and understanding? No. So so I I sometimes bring that part up so that the and again in this scenario, the wife will understand she's not, you know, she's not broken. She's not, it's not that she's all of a sudden this this horrible person on the inside that she never wanted to be. She's reactionary because she doesn't feel heard. So uh, and again, that all came from uh, this this line where um, she says on here, this means that a persecutor must always be right, and their methods include bullying, preaching, threatening, blaming, lecturing, interrogating, and outright attack. So she says the persecutor needs someone to blame. They deny their vulnerability in the same way rescuers deny their needs. Their greatest fear is powerlessness because they judge and deny their own inadequacy, uh, their own fear, their own vulnerability. Again, they deny, they judge and deny those things. They will need someplace else to project these disowned feelings. In other words, they need a victim. So it's most difficult for somebody in the persecutor role to take responsibility for the way they hurt others. And again, I, I kind of—if we want to go deep and talk about personality disorders—I don't even know if they're aware that that's the role that they're playing. To them, you know, personality disorder rule one of the one of the initial rules is um, it's it's called this ego-syntonic view of self, meaning that they don't see themselves as doing anything that goes contrary to their ego or their sense of self. Again, that's called egocentric. Uh, there's a whole other type of personality called ego dystonic and that's what people that you know the, the dystonic are. you're aware of things you don't want an ego dystonic person may have depression or anxiety or ocd or insecurities or adhd or these things that they just know i don't want this but an ego syntonic uh, person has this nothing is wrong with them whatsoever so therefore they are doing nothing that goes against their sense of self and that and that's what is uh, part of a personality disorder Okay, so again, persecutor needs somebody to blame. Um, They need a victim. So it's most difficult for somebody in the persecutor role to take responsibility for the way they hurt others. Because in their mind, others deserve what they get. And these warring individuals tend to see themselves as having to constantly fight for survival. So theirs is this constant struggle to protect themselves and what they perceive as a hostile world. And again, that is from Lynn Forrest, and I think that's beautiful. So uh, out of the triangle – and there's a, a MFT from who wrote a book called Breaking the Drama Triangle named John Goulet, and he says the only way to escape the drama triangle is to function as an adult and not participate in the game. Um, one more from Lynn Forrest, and then we'll kind of wrap this up. Those in victim roles must learn to assume responsibility for themselves and initiate self care. That's huge. That again, I call that uh, I say they need to raise their emotional baseline uh, rather than look outside of themselves for a savior. They must challenge their ingrained belief that they can't take care of themselves if they are to escape the triangle. Instead of seeing themselves as powerless, they need to acknowledge their problem solving as well as their leadership capabilities, because this is me speaking, Tony. They are in there. They do have problem solving uh, skills and they do have leadership capabilities. It's funny at times when you build up rapport with somebody in a session and then you circle back around to something where they have been a leader or they have solved problems and it's almost like you watch them go, oh, wait a minute, he just tricked me. It's like, well, yeah, but but I still can't do this or this I still am very afraid of this or or that sort of thing. So um, helping them understand that instead of seeing themselves as powerless, they do have these problem solving skills or leadership capabilities. Uh, Lynn Forrest says there is no escape except to take total responsibility for their own feelings, thoughts, and actions. She says it certainly is it, it 's certainly possible to be helpful and supportive without being a rescuer there 's a distinct difference between, between excuse me between being truly helpful and rescuing authentic helpers act without expectations for reciprocation. And how many times have I said this is deep? So my apologies, but that's deep. I talk about this often. I call it my—I call it the manipulation filter. Are you reaching out or or doing something for someone else because you just want to build up their? inner wealth or their self-esteem or help them understand that they are okay? Or are you doing that because you want the thank you or you want them to recognize you or talk about you in a church talk or something like that? So, again, they they empower rather than disable those that they serve. Um, What they do will be done to encourage self-responsibility rather than to promote dependency. So, true supporters believe that the other can handle their own business. They believe that everybody has the right to make mistakes and learn through sometimes hard consequences. And they trust the other has, what it takes to see themselves through times of difficulty without rescuers needing to save them. So, she says that self-accountability is the only way off the grid for the persecutor. Uh, there has to be some kind of breakthrough to them to own their part. And unfortunately, because of their great reluctance to do so, it may have to come in the form of crisis. Again, that was from Lynn Forrest. So uh, if you, I'm going to include a picture on my website when I do bring this one up about Cartman's drama triangle. It's it's really impressive. I mean, it's the, there's again, the persecutor on one corner. Um, the one that art the, the picture that I have here says the persecutor is the bully, blames others for all problems, criticizes, dominates, um, puts others down, angry, resentful, rule oriented, has all rights while others have none. Ooh, that one's deep. And then the rescuer, aka the martyr, gains self esteem by helping others, quote, helping others, tries to be considerate and selfless, feels the need to fix problems, often feels like a failure when other, another person complains. And then uh, at the bottom of this uh, picture of the triangle, the victim feels helpless, feels uh, hopeless, trapped, ashamed, guilty, powerless, seeks others to solve problems and to give them validation, and refuses to make decisions or solve problems, or even sometimes to seek professional help, and they become very dependent on others. And so, In the middle of the triangle, it says the situation can determine the position on the triangle and can even change positions in a toxic dance. And each person may end up switching positions as needed to get their needs met. So I hope that uh, you gathered something deep here from the Cartman drama triangle. A lot of it is just recognizing your, if you are on this drama triangle, if you are a persecutor, and I'm going to be super honest, I think a lot of times um, if you're listening to this and you're asking yourself if you're a persecutor, you're most likely not a persecutor. It's that whole thing with rule number one of narcissism. If you're asking yourself, am I a narcissist? You're most likely not a narcissist because the narcissist isn't going to ask themselves that. They're just going to keep on being on. Awesome. Uh, Rescuer. If you are a rescuer, that's one I think is is a little easier to identify and recognize that, you know, bless your heart at times that might be promoting some dependency. So how can you rescue without truly um, creating that uh, that codependence? And if you feel like you're the victim, and I think a lot of people that that might hear this will resonate a little bit with the victim mentality. I've had some really incredible sessions with some very powerful people who have all of a sudden recognized, man, I just, I keep going back into victim mode, don't I? And, uh, and that's pretty powerful for somebody to recognize that. So check out the Cartman's drama triangle and where you fit on that. And then you also may recognize where other people in your relationships and in your life, where they fit. And this might help you recognize the way to interact with them and to make sure that you don't find yourself shifting positions on the drama triangle just to try to be heard. All right. Hey, I appreciate you taking the time as always. Um, Taking us out today, as per usual, is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence and uh, her song. It's wonderful. All right. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind. It's wonderful. Elastic waste and rubble. Just